there is a very strong genetic predisposition for addiction. Some people can pick up a joint or whatever it is or, or take a pill and never feel the effects. Other people get sucked right into it right away. And then at the age of 35, he went through a terrible depression, breakup with um, a significant other, and he overdosed on cocaine and died. My son Corey unfortunately passed away from a drug overdose, uh, a heroin overdose on February the 4th of 2016. I didn't believe it because he was functioning very well. He was in school, he was uh, at a job. That's the tragedy of it, but people do recover and people have to know that it's not hopeless. From ZMB Media and Jewish Community Services, this is Hooked. Stories of loss, love, and most importantly, hope as told by recovering drug addicts, family members, and friends. I'm Howard Resnick, Manager of Prevention Education at JCS. In this episode, you'll hear from three parents who raised children who struggled with addiction. All have volunteered to share their experiences with us and are not clients of Jewish Community Services. In working with parents who have children who are struggling with addiction, I've come to appreciate just how difficult it is the most helpful thing to do often is counterintuitive. Sometimes by rescuing them, we may in fact be enabling them. I sat down with three parents who've raised children who have struggled with addiction and asked them about their experience. So everyone wants to start, please. Uh, okay, yeah, I'm, um, I'm Steve Seidel. Um, my son Corey unfortunately passed away from a drug overdose, uh, a heroin overdose on February the 4th of 2016. Um, you know, it was, it was a really a shock and it was very difficult to deal with initially. It, it happened so early, uh, right after uh, his 13th birthday, he started, you know, using marijuana and, you know, slowly but surely that escalated and exacerbated on the bigger drugs and things like that. I think initially uh, we were wondering what we were doing wrong, my wife and I. Um, and, you know, it, it, obviously it was so new to us, we really did not know how to approach it. and. Um, Reaching out to uh, the right, thank goodness we had a good support, and reaching out to the right avenues for help, um, we did everything we could. Uh, unfortunately, as I mentioned, he's no longer here. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, um, we we did everything we could, and it was a shock. And and you know, I'm um, I'm here to help everybody else if I can. Mm. And Wanda, your experience having a son who struggled and. Um, my son passed away about two and a half years ago. It'll be three years this November. And when he was around 12 years old, the age where uh, people start sleeping out, having parties at friends' houses, uh, he experienced alcohol for the first time. And his friends called me in the middle of the night and said my son was outside. He'd been throwing up and he passed out. And... It wasn't far to go. I jumped in the car and went and got him. And the friends helped get him into my car. And as he got in, he looked up at me and opened his big wide eyes and said, Mom, I love you. And that was the start of the rest of his life. And my experience um, in high school, it was a lot of marijuana. Uh, I found pellets in his drawer, CO2 pellets. Um, we started in um, counseling group sessions, put him in a program while he was in high school to no avail. Uh, he went through college, 
did get in trouble a few times, was hospitalized by overdosing a few times. And I remember when he hit his 21st birthday, I said, God, he's, he's here, he's on this earth, because I was kind of surprised that he lasted till that age. And then at the age of 35, he went through a terrible depression, breakup with um, a significant other, and he overdosed on cocaine and died. My experience um, was, first of all, denial. Uh, even when I was told by, by others that my son was an addict, I didn't believe it because he was functioning very well. He was in school, he was, um, had a job, and he was uh, functioning. But um, eventually when we found more and more evidence of it, we had to face the fact that he was an addict and we were, didn't know what to do. Because at, at that time, we didn't know that anybody else in our circles had addicts. Now I've found out quite a few. But at that time, I thought I'm the only person on earth who had this problem. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, uh, I was directed to go to Naranon meetings. And there I met people who enabled me to understand what I was going through and what my son was going through. And um, that enabled me. I've told people, when someone wanted to ask me how I'm doing, I said, I've been through the valley of the shadow of death and I came out on the other side. And it, that's literal. Mm -hmm. And for five years, uh, I don't know if I would have functioned had I not gone to meetings and developed relationships with people who understood. And that helped me to, to, to deal effectively. And in the end, so far so good successfully with with my son's addiction so he's in recovery your son is in recovery my now. son after being in numerous rehabs and being on, homeless and having all kinds of other issues that seem to be normal with addicts mm -hmm. eventually reached a point in his life uh, that he wanted to change he wanted to come back to the family he hadn't been allowed in the house for five years he wanted to come back and be a part of his family and I and he wanted to finish school. He still had another year of, of graduate school. And uh, I made a deal with him. I said, if you go to a rehab that I pick and you stay six months and I get a good report, I will pay your tuition for your last year of school because he had no credit or anything else. And he went to the right place. Mm -hmm. But I want to say that maybe it wouldn't have been the right place if he wouldn't have been in that frame of mind. Mm -hmm. He might have gone to that place two years before and not succeeded. But it worked for him so far, so good. I think that's an excellent point that you make. Mm -hmm. um, I think that uh, unfortunately, and a lot of folks are, don't understand that in order to be successful in recovery, you have to want it yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody else can do it for you. Uh, one of the biggest, one of the biggest, there's three, uh, three major uh, problems that I see in people that are addicted. Number one, they love the high. I get it because my son told me it was heroin was the greatest thing in the world. I didn't understand it, but I, I understand it if that makes any sense. Number two, they know they have to quit because their lives have become unmanageable. But the biggest thing of all is they're scared to death of all the work it's going to take to climb out of the living hell that they're experiencing. The, 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 the extra work and all the hard work and, and you know that it's going to take to get the job done is what scares them the most and deters them the most. And I must say, my son was the epitome of that problem. He always wanted to cut corners. He, he did not want to do the hard work it takes in any, in any facet of his life. 
He didn't want to do the hard work it takes to become successful and get the job done. And I think that uh, people, uh, you know, supporting family members and friends need to understand that. So what was the hard work for you as a parent? You know, being a parent is the hardest job in the world. Right. Ag agreed. Being the parent of a kid who's now chemically dependent. What was the hard work for you as a parent? As a parent, it and was... To understand that uh, it wasn't my fault. A lot of a lot of folks, a lot of parents and friends and supporting members, uh, automatically go, "What am I doing wrong?" You know, raising children in this day and age is is the luck of the of the uh, rolling the dice. It's you you have no idea how it's going to come out. You can be the greatest parent in the world and have a child that is you know doesn't make it like mine. You can be the worst parent in the world and have a road scholar for a child or a friend or an uncle or an aunt. For me, um, I think the hardest thing was is that, you know, I also am a member of Nornan. Uh, to stop enabling and detach with love is the way to, to save their lives. If, what do you mean by stop enabling? Uh, you know, uh, so many times at the very beginning before I learned what enabling was in codependency, my, you know, my, my son would pull at my heartstrings and go, Dad, I'm, you know, he lived out on the West Coast, so you know, at the time he was only 20. Um, and he would say, Dad, I, you know, I, I need money. Um, you know, I don't have money for food. Uh, the car needs to be fixed. And I would send him money. And, uh, you know, I, uh, you know we were, I was speaking with some folks earlier and, and had uttered a, uh, a something that I had heard that really stuck with me and will last with me the rest of my life. Uh, a friend of mine uh, said, imagine how hard it is to kick a drug addiction when we as, as parents, friends, and family know how hard it is to stop enabling. It's the hardest thing in the world. People, uh, people um, have the concept that um, enabling is a way of showing love. It's a way of saying, I love you, I wanna help you. And in certain respects it is, but it, there's a very fine line, and that fine line is drawn very soon on in. Enabling uh, exacerbates and, and can kill, kill your loved one. Or I, um, I'm definitely guilty of enabling, absolutely. And, you know, my son was functioning. He, after college, he had jobs. He was making six figures a year, but he, he never really had any money. And I used to say, you're working so hard. You, you know, you must have so much money in the bank. And he really didn't because whatever, after necessities, you know, food, car, et cetera, he, um, he made sure he had money to buy cocaine. And, you know, that was... In some respects, I say I did enable, but I don't blame myself because he was self-sufficient in supporting his own addiction. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a time when he, <laughs> twice, he ended up in jail, um, and he always got right back on his feet and, you know, did the same thing over and over because he enjoyed being successful, but even more he enjoyed doing his his drugs and i have another son um who is an alcoholic and he is functioning and i can say at points i have enabled i think i do it a lot less than i did before but i think as a woman as a mother i, I think it's harder to draw that line and say no i, I agree no, no no matter what i've experienced and um you know, I share this with female friends that have lost sons as well. And, you know, it all comes down to the same thing. It was just so hard. One of the four of us actually did not talk to her 
um, addicted sons for a period of time. I could not do that. There was a time where my son was so bad off and he was, I had kicked him out of my house and he was staying in a motel room. And I didn't talk to him for two days and I couldn't do it. I had to make that phone call because I couldn't live with myself. And, and I read and I heard that when you tell somebody you love them, when you communicate, that is not enabling. It's, it's making excuses for their behavior, covering up, etc. But I think it's very important to always say, I love you, I love you, I'm here for you. But you have to draw the line between telling your child because I think so much of the um, addiction comes from, I think, their self-perception of themselves as being inadequate in some way. I, there's something here that I want to say. I, I learned this at my son's rehab when I went there for the family uh, time. He has a hole in his soul. That's the phrase they use. There's a reason why they become an addict and there's something missing in their lives and we have to find a way to give them something and it has to be spiritual. It has to be something that gives meaning to their life. Uh, it's not just a question of being drug free. An addict has to have something better than just being clean. And thank God, when my son was ready and mature enough, he found such a rehab that gave him that spirituality and gave him the idea of, of but it was a six-month program, not a 30-day program. And he wanted to be there. And he was motivated because there was a light at the end of the tunnel. He had one more year to finish school, and if he didn't finish that year, he would lose it. And, and he knew that I was going to enable him to finish school, so he was very motivated. And he had been an addict for years, and he was sick and tired of it. But that was a, it was a combination of things. I, it, there's no simple answer. There's Thank no you. one way that works for everybody. He's right. When the complications of addiction begin to play such a large role in the family, it's common for parents to crave a solution that will heal their children. But the truth is, there is no one exact answer. There's no one prescription that cures the disease. It's difficult for parents of addicts who are so overwhelmed thinking that they are responsible for their children's dependency. In Al-Anon and Arnon support groups for loved ones affected by addictions, there's a saying known as the three C's. I didn't cause it. I can't control it, I can't, can't cure it. Cure and it. I can't cure it. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it's very true. The first time I heard that, I thought was the most brilliant thing I ever heard in my life. Because it, we think if we do something different, it's our fault. It's not our fault. Uh, you can have several children grow up in the same family with the same experiences, and they don't make the same choices. Mm -hmm. I do think learning uh, issues ADD, uh, bipolar, these are common things I hear from other parents. Uh, the one thing we haven't mentioned yet is molestation and abuse. Mm -hmm. That is a cause for many people to become addicts and many children who were in some way molested or abused feel inferior, feel inadequate, and that leads them, that's the hole in their soul. And we need to deal with that. Please, Wanda. Uh, one mm -hmm. of my sons was molested as a little boy, and mm -hmm. um, I blame myself, mm -hmm. and, you know, I understand where this can go. It was an unfortunate situation. It was a family friend that did this, 
and I had no idea. And when I when I go back to you know, thirty years ago, nobody talked about these things. We didn't talk about it. Today we're we're teaching children to talk about it. So you know, so we can put these people behind bars, etc. But when nobody talked about it, it was swept under the rug. And all and these things are hidden, whether it, mm -hmm. the, that the molestations are done in the dark, the using is done behind. So in and of itself, I mean, us parents want to be all all places all the time with our kids, and but yeah, yeah, it, to not, be all places, you can't let them out of your sight, and that's yeah. that's, to that's be not God, healthy to be either. All places. Yeah, sorry. Um, I, I couldn't agree with everybody more. One thing I'd like to mention that, you know, um, an idea I had in my mind is, number one, I'm a pharmacist and I've learned a lot of clinical uh, issues. There is a very strong genetic predisposition for addiction. Some people can pick up a joint or whatever it is or, or take a pill and never feel the effects. Other people get sucked right into it right away. And I think that that also has to be, uh, um, you know, considered. This is not a character defect. This is a disease like diabetes, cancer, thyroid issues, things of that nature. And I think it's extremely important that, that we, we look at it that way so that we can help people when we're more open-minded. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, as Wanda mentioned, there's a lot of secrecy. Um, I also feel as though, uh, you know, um, erasing the stigma or the stigma associated with it is probably one of the worst, is as bad as enabling and perpetuating this disease as anything else. I mean, I think that it needs to be put out there. That's why I don't have a hard time showing my face or mentioning my name is because I want people to know that I've experienced it. And, and quite frankly, I couldn't save my son's life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to save somebody else's. As you were speaking, thoughts came into my head and, and one was about the stigma. I don't want anybody to know about my alcoholic son. I feel like it's a reflection on me. I keep it hidden. And I've been to uh, psychologists, et cetera, that say you can't hide these secrets. You know, what is it doing to you? But yet, I don't want to put him in that situation, and I hide it. And it hurts so much to do that. Mm -hmm. And another part of the stigma is I have a, a book in my beach bag right now, and I go to the pool in my community daily, and the book is um, a book on Al-Anon and its principles, I can't pull it out to read it in public. I'm going to have to make a book cover for this book so I can read it in public because there's such a stigma attached. Me as the mother, he as the son, and so I can only read this book in my bedroom and, you know, in my own home where I'm safe. And, I, and it's so sad that this is how society is today that we have to do this. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. We're talking about it. We want to remove the stigma around discussing drug addiction because we are only as sick as our secrets. Just like a parent can't prevent a son or daughter's allergy, they can't prevent alcohol or drug abuse on their kid's part. Like even if they were the greatest parent in the world, their child is going to be allergic to bee stings. It's like you know, there's nothing you can. Yeah, yeah that's part of the uh, that's part of of the the disease state that I that I spoke about earlier. You know, mm -hmm. you wouldn't blame a child or shun a child or turn your back on a child that had diabetes or cancer or heart disease or something like that. It is a disease. Right. Right. I recently spoke with a pediatric geneticist. 
about this issue. Okay, please. Uh, and saying that my son argues with me, that that is not true. And, you know, it, everything he's heard, there is no, gen no genetic link. And I have this pediatrician telling me, yes, there is a genetic link, but it's also environmental and physiological. So there's all these factors coming yes. together. And I think there's the spiritual thing too. It's, it's the environment. It, it's, mm -hmm. all, it's all the above. I think we tend to look for the single bullet that if I did the right thing or if I took the right pill, and that's addictive thinking. Mm -hmm. yeah. I want to say that uh, this has come out of the shadows for many reasons, but one is because it's so widespread. Um, I can honestly say that some of my older children tell me that when they were growing up, they never heard of anybody in our world who was a drug addict. And I'm sure there were, but we never heard of them. Today, <laughs> it's, it, there's lots of them. And um, I know lots of parents who have um, a child like this and they live in fear that someone will find out because of the social they, they're afraid they'll be, I, people will talk about them, it'll affect the marriage prospects of their other children, it will, all kinds of things, and we have to get over it. But one thing you learn in, in Al-Anon or Naranon or any of these meetings is you can't judge somebody else and you can't make decisions for somebody else. We're each individuals, we each have to work within the world we live in and do the best we can. Uh, um, addiction is, is a national epidemic now and, it ha and it's coming out of the shadows and I think that that in a sense is liberating if people can talk about it and um, if anybody who's listening to this podcast wants to talk to me they can contact you and you, you, I'll be happy to speak with them because people live in isolation and think they're the only ones and they really need to, to understand that it's not your fault, mm -hmm. and you have to do the best you can. Mm -hmm. uh, we all love our children. Loving our children is not enough to save them. Yeah. As much as we'd like it to be, it isn't, and we have to learn techniques. But one more thing that we do get from meetings is we have to learn how to live our lives. We can't put our life on hold forever because we have a sick child. We sometimes have to, but that isn't gonna make them better. In this disease, because in this disease of, of addiction, they have to want to change. And, and, and you wanting them to change is not enough. It's, uh, sometimes, I once told my son when he was at a point where he got kicked out of a place after, you know, I thought he was doing well, and um, someone advised me to tell him, I'm taking a break from you. I'm not going to write to you or call you or speak to you for a while. I didn't say not forever, but right now I'm just taking a break from you. And that impressed him because he said, my father was my best friend and now he doesn't want to talk to me. Now that didn't make him change right away, but it made an impression on him. And maybe later when he was ready, because he wanted that relationship. And you role modeled for him in that moment mm -hmm. about taking care, taking inventory of your own health and mm -hmm. what you need. One thing I did learn though, and I asked, um, the, the meetings I go to uh, are very helpful. I wish more people would do it. Um, 
I asked my son, I said, now that you are clean, he's been clean for about two years now and living, has a job and he lives a, a normal life um, in, you know, community. Um, I asked him, do I still need to go to meetings? He said, yes, you have to go to meetings because people have to know that miracles happen and that sometimes uh, people do recover. Uh, unfortunately, not that often. That's the tragedy of it, but people do recover, and people have to know that it's not hopeless. But on the other hand, there's another reason, because it's never over. We're on a merry-go-round, and a child can be clean for a year, two years, 20 years. There's no guarantee. So we still have to be part of the, of the that's fellowship. That's a cr chronic condition. Yeah, I, I, that's, yeah. an outstanding, that's an outstanding statement. I think that, uh, if, in my opinion, uh, there's no such thing as an ex-addict. Uh, once you're an addict, you're an addict forever. If you choose to be an addict in recovery the rest of your life, that's a beautiful thing. Diabetes. Diabetes. You let it live with you. You don't live with it. Um, it, it I, and I think that it's not even a day-for-day -day work in progress. I think it's a second-by-second. Second I, I, and, and some of the folks that I've dealt with, my experience is the ones that are in recovery, regardless of how long or how short it is, the ones that think that they're that they've got it licked and they got a handle on it are the ones that scare me the worst, yes. because those are the ones that become complacent, and God forbid, those are the ones you find on the street again, and and that's really really important to realize. And you had mentioned the, uh, the meetings. Uh, in my opinion, I also feel as though you need to somebody who's you know depending on the individual. Just my opinion, you should be in meetings. If, if you can for the rest of your life, get a sponsor and, and be reminded of where you've come from. Don't look at how far you've got to go. Turn around and look where you've come from. And hopefully you have the insight to say, I'm not starting over again. You know, I don't want to start my recovery over again. It's a, it's a second by second pro, uh, process. Okay. And Leonard, you, you started to get there and, and I wanted to get a sense um, as we we're closing this, this episode out. Um, taking care of your own health, you said, is like really key. You're going to be in this for the long haul, whether it's through grief or okay. through the struggle of ongoing recovery. How do you keep your sanity? How do you keep okay. yourself healthy? I know addicts. I mean, I know parents of addicts who tell me their son is 31, 45, and they're still in a sense, children. By that I mean, when you become an addict, you stop maturing. So you may be 45, on the, uh, but you're really still 16, unfortunately. One of the ways to get them to grow up is to tell them, I'm not going to live your life for you anymore, and I'm not going to bail you out, and I trust you that you're smart enough and mature enough to take care of yourself. That enables them to get more mature. And for yourself, your health, how do yeah. you keep healthy? By, by having a productive life mm -hmm. and realizing that we're doing, that sometimes the best thing we can do for our addict is to not do anything, to live a productive life and, and, and meaningful and, and to maybe role model that but but you can't live somebody else's life for them mm -hmm. so and you've accepted i can't live my life for him mm -hmm. i've i i have to be healthy and do the things that mm -hmm. make me healthy spiritually mm -hmm. physically emotionally mm -hmm. stop my, focusing my on son him. has told me more than once yeah if you had not thrown me out i wouldn't be alive 
Okay. Unfortunately, I know lots of people who threw out and it didn't and work. And it didn't work, right. I think one of the beauties uh, behind the whole concept of Noranon, Noranon is not for the addict, it's for, it's for the, the, the support members, the families, the uncles, the aunts of the addict. It teaches you to take a step away and live your life. Um, and I think uh, you had mentioned earlier about, hey, if my son hadn't lost his best friend, you, your dad, the dad, that hopefully um, that is one of the, uh, the steps towards hitting rock bottom. We talked about rock bottom before. Parents are inherently taught to l let their children fall and skin their knees and learn from their mistakes. You can't do this in this business. It's so difficult because rock bottom unfortunately for me and for others is the ultimate sacrifice. So what is rock bottom in this disease? It's so hard to, you, ca you cannot measure that. Mm -hmm. Wanda, please. Um, my son was hospitalized and um, for about three weeks and he had to learn how to walk again. Literally. Literally, mm -hmm. had to get on his own two feet, thought processes, etc. totally affected. And it took him about three months to start all over again. So. For some, I really believe there is no rock bottom. So this term rock bottom is very relative. And, um, and, and it's hard as a parent to stay healthy because the psychological stress is in, is in every second of my life. Um, if I'm at a party, uh, if I'm shopping, whatever it may be, it is, you know, I, I'm fit, I eat well, I exercise. But I don't feel healthy because of the psychological effect, uh, psychological effect of living with addiction for the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. So what things are you doing now with that part of the, the, the injury um, to, to help that, that part? I'm, I go to Al-Anon meetings to okay. help me. and. Uh -huh. Um, they uh -huh. are wonderful. I meet wonderful people from all walks of life who have suffered with this. You know, there was a time uh, when I was in a classroom setting where I asked how many students in this classroom have an addict in their family and just about everybody raised their hands. Whether it was a cousin, an uncle, a father, it's everywhere, and um, it's taking such a toll on society because I see these people, Alan, Alan and I, we're all struggling. We're all struggling, and it's a struggle that I don't know will ever be over because you're, you're afraid that even if this person that you love has stopped using and is in recovery, as you said before, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring or the next week, so I feel like it's it's had such an effect on me in that I don't know I'm not very hopeful any longer. It takes away that hope and that joy out of your life no matter what situation you're in and that's why you need to stay healthy and that's why we go to meetings and that's why I I had seen a therapist. But I've come to the point that I have to live with this for the rest of my life and it's very hard and I have that picture of my son right at my front door. And every time I walk in the house, I kiss his picture and, and know that he lives in my heart. So um, how many times have I heard from a teenager or the addicted person that I'm working with, I don't know what's, everybody's upset, it's my life, it's my body, if I'm gonna do any harm, it's, you know, it's, it's on me. 
you know, it's no one else's business. They don't see beyond the addiction. They don't see beyond themselves. And I think that's part of I think it's part of the disease where they they love the drug more than they love themselves, and because they don't love themselves, they don't expect anybody else to love them. Bingo, bingo. Thank you. I've never. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Any advice to uh, how to stay healthy in this impossible, painful dilemma of being a, a, a parent? And the worry that comes with not only being the parent, but being a parent of someone who's struggling with addictions. Uh, I, uh, I mentioned several times earlier about my my uh, uh, my goal is to help erase the stigma. Uh, we've talked about Narnon and Alanon, and I think that's actually the first step of erasing the stigma because the people that know about it um, are going to be your support, not just in those meetings. And the reason why I'm so supportive, I'm so big on erasing the stigma is I can't tell you how many times I've been very outspoken. And as a pharmacist, I tell everybody that comes in and asks me for syringes because I know they're shooting up. I tell them about my, uh, my life uh, struggles with my, uh, my, my friend's family and, and my children's or child's addiction um, because there's so many people that will walk up to me and say, thank you for sharing. I've been so afraid to talk about it. Now I know somebody else and they'll reach out to me for advice or or for help and and that to me in just my opinion is is probably one of the biggest ways to heal is to be is get support from your family and friends. I've been had an awakening, a right. rude awakening giving it yes. support to others. Uh, yes, Wendy. For um, me Wanda. it's um, finding something I love to do and doing it as much as I can and right now that love is coming in the form of helping others. I'm working on a fundraiser for another local foundation right now. And I'm here today. And I look forward to this meeting, even though I knew it was going to be so hard. But anything I can do, whatever I can do to help other people, that's what I'm about. When I hear that somebody has lost a loved one due to addiction, I immediately reach out. And sometimes I'm rejected, and sometimes in a month or two, this person will return my call, and, you know, we we have lunch, we meet, etc. But that's kind of, like, become the thing that's given me so much joy right now. That will help and, you and heal. And it helps me in a mm-hmm. world of pain. Yeah, mm-hmm. we only get to keep what we're willing to give away. I once went into the bank and uh, was speaking to the person who was uh, helping me, and I said, I have to close my checking account, and then I want to open a new one. She says, why are you closing this one and opening a new one? I says, because I have a son who's an addict, and he's forging checks, and I have to close this account down. So she said, me too. <laughs> and she told me that she has a son who's an addict. He's been an addict for years, and she didn't know what to do. And I said, well, I'll tell you what to do. Uh, I'm going to a meeting tonight. You meet me in the parking lot of this bank and I will pick you up and take you to the meeting. She's been going religiously for three years to the meeting and she thanks me for introducing her to to Naranon. Before that, she was all by herself and now she has some friends who understand what she's going through. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Mm -hmm. Harboring a problem just creates Mm -hmm. inflammatory Mm -hmm. situations. We're Mm -hmm. only as sick as our secrets. Mm -hmm. We're all ready to help anyone, and people should reach out to us, and we'll be happy to, to talk to them and to help them, because if you haven't experienced it, you really don't understand. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We invite you to listen to the other episodes in the series, 
If you or someone you love is battling addiction, you're not alone. There are resources that can help. Visit our website, ifiknew.org, click on the Get Help tab for listings of local Baltimore resources, as well as leading national ones. These podcasts are brought to you by Jewish Community Services in Baltimore, an agency of the Associated. We are grateful for their support, as well as the generosity of other funders who make JCS prevention education programming possible.